Welcome to the Three Wise Men of Divorce, Money, Psych, and Law podcast. Sit down with the California divorce experts, financial divorce consultant Mark Hill, psychologist Scott Weiner, and attorney Sean Weber for a frank and casual conversation about divorce, separation, co-parenting, and the difficult decisions real people like you face during these tough times. We know that if you are looking at divorce or separation, it can be scary and overwhelming. With combined experience of over 70 years in divorce and conflict management, we are here for you and look forward to helping by sharing our unique ideas, thoughts, and perspectives on divorce, separation, and co-parenting. Okay, here we are. It's another week of the three wise men of divorce, but we, we've thrown in a wrinkle, a little bit of a curveball. It's an aberration. There's a woman among us. There's a wise woman. I, Actually, I would say the wise men finally wised up. And we wised up. Woman, we have our first guest. Our first guest. So it's a, it's a high honor for J. Joe Portanova, who, okay. Dr. J. Joe Portanova, who we've, all, we, we've known for years. Scott, you're just getting to know her today, but Mark and I have known her for years. And uh, uh, J. Joe is uh, a, a tremendous asset to the family law community, practicing out of Torrance, California, and uh, uh, is very involved in the collaborative movement. And uh, you do a lot of mediation as well? Yes, I do. And um, the first time I got to know you was at a training in, um, at Loyola University wasn't it the Loyola Law School? That's we were doing a training right. for the clinic there. That's right. And uh, I, I always felt like I, I'd known you for years, you know. <laughs> and so it was it was really nice to train with you and work with you, and and uh, and then we're working together with uh, Collaborative Practice California now, and Mark is too. And um, it's great to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm very very excited to be a part of this. And the minute you asked me, I'm like, yes, yes. And more. Yes. <laughs> so what makes you a little different than a lot of the other people in the collaborative community are the initials after your name. You, yeah. you're, you're an MD. What's up I, with that? I, uh, a real I, doctor as opposed to these <laughs> fake, these fake, doctors. fake one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I am an MD. I did go to medical school. Um, I did get trained in pediatrics and then went on to adult psychiatry and then child psychiatry. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange situation, but I love it. I think it's a perfect combination. There are a lot of nuances that I can apply from the medical training I have to the collaborative world. And um, I like to use metaphors and sometimes using medical metaphors helps people uh, get a big concept across quickly. So and there's a lot of times where there's medical issues or medical-esque issues, if you will, that um, really I can help people understand better and perhaps negotiate better. Okay. So I enjoy it. I love it. And I, in all of my medical training, I always enjoyed working on a team. I mean, to me, there is nothing better than to understand a person from everybody else's point of view, including your own, because everybody brings something unique to the table and their way of training and how they look at things and how they problem solve has everything to do with their training. And, and we each do that differently. And there's a richness to that, that I think gives you a holistic approach to the end result, which I think is ultimately 
more reflective of who you're dealing with and a better long-term result. And so what you're really hitting on is, is the kind of the philosophy of the three wise men of divorce. We joke that we ought to call ourselves the three wise guys, but yeah, you know, the, the, the approach from money, psych and law, you know, yep. three different angles to really make a whole kind of a, we've learned and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing is a case won't settle. People won't find resolution unless they can satisfy from all three angles. Absolutely. And, and those three angles can change as you're moving through the process. It sometimes, sometimes the medic, the, the financial is more important. And then all of a sudden the, the psychiatric or psychological, the mental health issues are more important and everything. I'm a very biased person, but everything, I think everything has a psychological component to it. Money has a psychological component to it. Um, sure. This whole process is a process of varying degrees of grieving and we don't all grieve the same way. So, you know, there's a, that is always going on underneath whatever you're talking about. It's a, it's a, it's a very exciting thing for me to do. I don't know why there are not more MDs doing this. I don't know why there are not more psychiatrists involved with this. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think that having a physician in the room is a, I mean, I've never collaborated with a physician in the room. It's uh, it's so fascinating for me to hear this. I think a lot of what we actually wind up doing is managing the destabilizing of a problem-infused stable system. And I think that it would be very reassuring for a psychiatrist to be there who is they're going to have a kind of trust for you, I would think, Jojo, as well. I mean, I'm meeting you exactly for, what, 45 seconds or something <laughs> like that. And I already feel very, it's, it's so comfortable to be in the room with you, as it were. You know? It's like, uh, okay, yeah. I think that what we're managing when we're doing this collaborative thing is a form of managing the destabilization of, an, of a stable problem. And yes. uh, we are we are disturb we are disturbing a stable system, and I think that it's uh, you know it'd be very reassuring to have a physician in the room. Well, you know it's interesting you say that because I I I often look at it that way. And you're trained in medicine when you when you see a patient, you're dealing by definition the patient has a symptom, right? And that symptom has destabilized their body, and you are there to try to answer those questions, stabilize it again, but keep your eye on all the other factors that are going on in the body and the family and everybody else. So in a weird way, the medical training really does help you understand how to do three or four things at one time and then still stay focused on stabilizing what used to be a, a stable situation that is now unstable or they wouldn't be coming to you to begin with. Unless you're doing a, a well baby check or a well person check, you're yes. usually handling a symptom that has destabilized their life, their body, their mental health, et cetera. Well, sometimes the outcome also is negative in yes. medicine. It's just yeah. the reality. If someone has a, I mean, if you're an oncologist, you're dealing with people who are dealing with very bad situations that don't always have good outcomes. Right. And in divorce, it, loss is inevitable. Yes. I always think that, I mean, it, first of all, it's the loss of a personal relationship, but from my angle with money, if you, if I meet another guy at a cocktail party and we get buddy up and we have a few drinks and he starts to talk to me about his net worth, he is not dividing by two. 
No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. He's telling me the net worth of him and his wife. Yes. And so even if we get a perfectly fair settlement, it's going to feel like a loss because A, you've divided by two. And if you do it perfectly, there's some expense involved in doing this divorce. So there is an inevitable loss that comes out financially from divorce. Well, and, and here's the interesting angle for the MD. That guy's looking and realizing that his net worth is being cut in half. There's an anatomical response, isn't there, J. Joe? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by what are you talking about, Sean? Of course, yes, there is. I mean, there's a physiological response to knowing ahead of time you're going to come out with less. And that would be the, quote, fair thing to do, which is an oxymoron on its face. It's right. fair. You're going to come out with less is a weird concept. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, that's, a, again, when you go through the medical training, you have lots of difficult conversations and you have lots of opportunity to have to help people accept a new, I hate to say this, a new normal because we're using it so much, but anyway, a new normal um, because the symptom requires a treatment and the treatment often does not leave you the same way as you walked in. The hope is you will, but often not. And in divorce, a fair answer in many cases for some people is not everybody, is a, a fair answer, however fair is determined by both parties, is less than you started with. Well, sure. And for one person, typically, it's elective surgery. And for the other person, it is not elective. Thank you. You know? Yes. And, and, you know, for me, I always have this conversation at the beginning, because I think it sets the stage, is to recognize that both parties no matter how much they think, they are not in the same place of grieving. They're in a different place. Somebody has already imagined the future post-divorce, and the other person often hasn't, is still trying to grasp it. And so they're already in different places. Like in your words, you, you said it great, like one's elective, one's voluntary. And that starts to cause an undertow of issues that we need to focus on and talk about all the time because we not, not, us not talking about it doesn't mean it's not in the room. And it does show up a lot in terms of blame, shame game, or this was your idea, or I, you need to make me whole, or whatever the message is. That concept of grieving at different levels, one person being elective, the other one you know, has to get it done, they have to get it cut out. Very important, very important. Yeah, so I mean, people are learning a new way to interact with each other when they're going through the divorce, aren't they? Like their, their roles are changing. I always tell people, your family's not ending because there's a divorce, everybody's still here. Yes. But, but there's a new way to interact and, and they're learning a new language and a new way to listen to each other. And uh, you, you know, you said something interesting, Scott, it was, it was nice to be in the room with you, but we're all on Zoom as we record this. We're not in the same room, but we are, aren't we? I feel close to you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. It's, if you allow it to happen, there is a kind of a trance of connection that, you know, I mean, this gal's in Torrance. What the hell? <laughs> You're in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I'm upstairs in the second bedroom of this house that I sort of hate, you know. And but <laughs> Well, you want to know, really? I'm in Palo Alto, California. I'm not even home. This is my daughter's dorm room when I'm there. a <laughs> so. girl. I'm in a whole nother space, which is a whole nother story. Well, I was yeah. going to say, speaking of your daughter, I mean, you and I were talking before we got on here about 
learning new ways to listen to each other, especially in this time of COVID where we're all doing this Zoom thing. And, you know, I, I think I asked you the question, how do mirror neurons work when you're talking through a, a monitor? And, um, you know, and, and, and how, are we, how are we listening to each other? How are, as practitioners, how are we listening to our clients? Um, there's a new way to listen. And, and you told an inspiring story about your daughter. I was wondering if you could maybe share some of that. Yeah, I, and I think it goes in somewhat parallel to what we're all going through. You know, you do what you have to do when you have to do it. And um, COVID has pushed us all into a place where we have the opportunity to learn how to listen differently. And I had that happen to me as a mother. Um, my daughter, I'm sitting in her room right now, is deaf. And she, I'm in Palo Alto, and she is a third-year medical student in Stanford. And that is the short story, uh, the short story of a long story, which was that she was born hearing impaired, and I had to learn how to listen to her differently. I had to learn how to communicate with her differently. And I find that because of this COVID, um, I am using those skills that I had to do as a, as a mother. Um, when she takes her, she has a hearing aid and she has a cochlear implant. She didn't get the cochlear implant until she was 15 years old. And she will tell you that her life started when she was 15 because before that time she would laugh when everybody laughed. And by the way, she couldn't hear it, but she could see them smiling. So she'd laugh and she would nod when people would nod. And she was always on the outside looking into people and trying to understand but she missed all the nuances the jokes the experiences she didn't get invited to things because she couldn't keep up and you know the hearing aid is 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 just makes noise louder it didn't help her discriminate so if she heard wah 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 she heard wah 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 louder it didn't help her hear the words until she got the cochlear at 15 years old and then it took another almost year for her to get remapped because Hearing through a cochlear and a hearing aid are two different kinds of list, uh, sounds neurologically. I won't bore you with that. But she had to learn how to hear again. In the meantime, I had to learn how to listen with her differently. And Do you sign? I do not sign. Never signed. We never signed. And that, the important point about that, Scott, and I think it's relevant to now, when she was born 25 years ago, auditory verbal was really still in its early infancy. Now a lot of people do it and cochlear is more of a mainstream thing. But back then it was like, really the deaf culture was very, having a hard time with feeling um, that people getting cochlears were, uh, were changing their culture and their deaf culture was very important to them. And so it wasn't really easily um, accepted. And so we were told originally when she was diagnosed to use sign. And then I started researching and this auditory verbal said, no, don't sign. Because if you give your child an opportunity to communicate, they won't learn to listen. So in a way, that's a metaphor for right now. If we think we can dog paddle through this COVID thing, and we're not going to have to use Zoom. We don't have to learn how to do this because it's very overwhelming and technology is very overwhelming. You won't actually get good at it. You'll, you'll get, you will, you will dog paddle and wait for this virus to go away and you're going to miss a lot. But if you dive in and you do the hard work to learn how to use this stuff, it's actually easier. And there's ways you can really communicate differently 
with people that is even in some ways better than being in person. I'm never going to say that it's all better, but it's nice to see just someone's face when you're working with them, as opposed to when you're in the room with them, when you're trying to concentrate on the person talking and you might miss what's going on on the face of someone across the table. Here you can see everybody's face at the same time while you're talking. So there's just like with my daughter, I learned some of the most beautiful, sensitive things. I can talk to my daughter, my deaf daughter, when her hearing aids are out and her cochlear is out and she's a fully deaf person under those conditions and I can communicate with her perfectly well. Now, you know, my husband's good at it, but not as good as I am. And my daughter, my other daughter who hears fine is not as good at it, but we, you learn to do what you have to do. And we did. And she has, my whole goal was to get her mainstreamed and um, I kept her in a mainstream school and she was a song leader and a captain of her dance team. And she's danced where she's done a couple pirouettes and her cochlear flew off across the room and she finished the dance deaf, you know? So, you know, she's learned. And I will tell you that the most important thing that we can all learn and that she learned was that if you adapt, good things can happen. And that's all she's ever done. So thinking about our clients, you know, folks that are going through divorce, and that's really who listens to this program or the folks that are in the, that are in the middle of a major transition. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have never communicated with their spouse. You know, I, I oftentimes feel like I'm a translator in the room, <laughs> translating between two sides of the table. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. So, so what's, the, what's the lesson there for that person that I, I have to figure out a way to communicate with this person because it is the, the other, it's my co-creator of my children. I, what, what's the lesson for that person? Um, again, I always look at things like opportunities. So the lesson is that this is an opportunity to perhaps be heard and listen in a way they haven't done before. And mm. that they can seize that opportunity or not or they can do it the same way they've been doing it. And I always look at it like, get your money's worth, do it differently. You're, you, the opportunity to be validated and heard and seen, whether you're, no matter, the fact that your marriage is now going to be over and you're going to be a family in a different way should not cause you to give up the opportunity. And it's a unique opportunity because you have people there and a unique time in your life. And if not now, when do you ever want to be heard and validated and listen and be listen in a way that validates the other person? Because now, now more than ever, that's an important thing. So, yeah, I mean, like with, with, um, with your daughter, not only did you have to learn how to communicate with her in a different way than you had ever communicated with somebody, but she had to learn how to hear. She did. In her way, Right. And sadly, I had to let her be frustrated in order to let that happen, which was painful. But that's the other part in our world. We say, can we have a difficult conversation? There, has, there often needs to be some tension and difficult moments to do something you've never done before because you've never had to do it before. And it's okay. It doesn't mean something bad is coming. It might mean something different is coming, and that's okay. You know, on a smaller level, it reminds me of when I was told my son was learning disabled and they wanted to put him in special ed in elementary school. Mm -hmm. My reaction was, my son? I 
you know, he's really a smart kid. Look at my academic standard. His mother's <laughs> smart. And yeah. the reaction was on me, you know, and then eventually it worked out great because he was one of the more, he actually became like a TA and it really helped his, um, oh. his self-esteem. And he went on to college. He runs a successful <laughs> company, married with a child. So, I mean, it's all worked out just great, but it was my reaction to it. Yeah. That I really look back on as being the most, I mean, I took him to a friend of mine who's a, a PhD who tested him and you know, uh, it, it was, but it was all validating me and it took a while for me to turn around and go, okay, what am I going to do for Nick? So I think that in divorce, that sometimes happens. The, the person reacts, you know, about how it reflects on them before they start thinking about what they've got to do to address the situation. I had, I had a case the other day where I, I, the, the wife really needed to say something to the husband. She needed to get some stuff off her chest or it was, I could tell it wasn't going to settle because she needed that moment. And he was always defending himself and taking umbrage to whatever she said. And, and whenever he would speak, I would see her shrink a little bit. And so I took her into a separate room and she said, I just have to tell him this. I just want to flip him off and I want to yell at him. And I'm like, well, maybe is there a way you could communicate what you're saying without being nasty? You know, I, I, I can tell you're frustrated. So we talked through that. And then I went back to him and I said, okay, sir, you're going to listen to your wife for the first time in your marriage. It's yeah. at the end. It's a little late, yeah. <laughs> That's right. but you're going to listen and you're going to, I told him, you're just going to bend over and take it. She's going to let you have it. And you need to, I don't want a reaction from you. I don't want you to defend yourself. I just want you to listen. And then I want you to reflect back what you heard. It's the way we all know we're here is that we get to see ourselves in other people's eyes. And when we don't get to do that, even if the other person doesn't agree, we need to see ourselves and know that we're here. We've been seen, we've been heard. And yes, it helps if someone agrees. Of course it does. But if, but if you never even get a chance to speak your, your truth, it is mm. so hard to move forward which is what we're asking them to do. We're saying it's time to move forward. And they're like, I don't have the wheels to do it. I don't even know that I've been seen or heard in the past. How do I move forward? And it's easy to say, you know, look forward, don't look past. But we have to recognize that closure and being able to move forward, it helps if you at least know for a moment you were seen and heard. Even if it's not their truth, it was your truth. And the, and the patience of another person even if they don't love you anymore or like you anymore or believe what you say is true, the patience that they give you is a generous moment that can be validating and energizing to move forward and causing closure. You know, you remind me of a case I did many, many years ago where I was just, I was through with these people. And um, I went, I had them in breakout rooms and I went to the husband in the breakout room, left the wife. Um, I was working with Justin at the time and I went in to the husband. I said, well, you've done it. You've stumped the mediator. I have no idea what to do with you guys. I, I, I'm out of tools. And the guy looked at me and it's like, you know, and then I said, you know, actually there is one thing we haven't tried. He goes, what's that? I said, generosity. <laughs> you know, I mean, we haven't tried that on either side. Have we? What, what, what amongst all the things you want are you really willing to give up if you can get something else you want? I want you to take that thing, go back in the room and say, you know what, I want to give that to you and then see what happens. 
It was like dominoes falling. We settled the case within about an hour and a half, bar the details. But uh, the concept of generosity was neither wanting to give it to the other one because it was like letting them win. Well, and that's another thing, going back to listening. Listening is a generous act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a generous act. To be able to listen to somebody is generous and not make it go away or fix it or negate it or say I've got it worse than you or compete with it. Just just listening in an open way without dismissing it and just being in that moment. Sometimes that feels generous to a person who hasn't felt that for a while or needs, in Sean's case, to say, to get it off their chest. It feels generous to let somebody let you get it off your chest. So generosity comes in all shapes and sizes, yep. and it can start a process because then people make emotional shifts, and they open in ways they weren't before, and then all of a sudden other things of generosity can start to flow. And, it, you, you know, I, I say this to my patients and my clients, you get what you give and you give what you get. I like that. If you give, you get generosity. It's the same thing with parenting. You know, you get what you give and you give what you get. It's just of an emotional balance. That's well said because we've seen people give some pretty terrible things. And you know what? And you get that back. Yes, you do. It's fancy for karma. but yeah. Right? Well, it is. I mean, or, or you can, you can give good things. And that comes back, well, maybe not all at once. I mean, there's some, I, I've had people say, well, you know, I, I've given my whole life and he still hasn't, you know. That's well, true. that's okay because you're still true to who you are. You're still yeah. a good person and, and, and you can give that good energy and it comes back even if it doesn't come back right away. You know, and I, on the topic of listening, when someone says, I've given my whole life, I listen at a level of like, how sad they are and how mm. hurt they are and how they feel so scared that what they've done mattered little. And that's that thing about, you know, this is a reflection of my life and my worth and it's nothing. At least that's how they're processing it at that moment. And I think it's okay to sit in that with them and talk with them about and just see them for that moment that that is a very sad, heavy feeling. And, and it's okay to be in that moment and to recognize it because I swear there's something magical when you listen like that that actually makes people feel seen and heard. And then sometimes it actually releases a little bit of the heaviness. Just because- so this is why we need a woman, because here was what we're hearing. And what I want to do is I just want to fix the problem. That's what my job is. Don't you understand? I'm a problem solver. Bring yeah. me a whole bunch of complex things and I fix it. Oh, I have to listen and acknowledge? Yes. That's really hard. Every <laughs> once in a while, males can stretch <laughs> ourselves to, to a certain amount of humanity. But not often. I admit it. I admit it. (laughs) We're not not really programmed for that. Mark's correct. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's it's one of the beauties, I think, of the collaborative model is that, you know, you, you really can take a moment with people 
stop this, the problem solving action and address this other huge roadblock to progress and say, okay, we get that you're suffering, you know? And I would say in, in, in my experience of doing these cases that maybe every time, but say twice, when we were able to do that, we would get some uh, an adequate transformative process embedded into that room and a couple of times, you know, Sean, you're quite familiar. A couple of times we didn't, uh, or actually, I really only one or two, yeah, two times working with you, and one time working with some other people, where it's like, you know, um, no. What has to happen somehow is uh, the process needs to go to uh, hostility and. Um, an experience of retribution and vindication and things like that. And those wind up in court, you know, they wind up in court and then they wind up, of course, having to not deal with these problems and still do. <laughs> well, the, why do people wind up in court? It's because they want their day in court. They feel like if I can get in front of a judge, they're going to hear me. And it doesn't work that way. No. Sean, no. I, I, in, even in the cases, I think you, I mean, I'm speaking between the lines because I'm not, you know, going to. Well, we've had some cases. Sure. Yeah. But those, I don't think those people wanted a day in court. I think they just really wanted to royally either kick the ass of the other person or, or there was so much rage. I mean, I, I, I don't think they, I mean, they, they came to us in part because they wanted a, uh, they wanted to spend their whatever amount they wanted to spend on actual problem solving in a, in a process. I think a few people come because they have a hope that a mediation process might even save their marriages. It's an unconscious issue, but um, no, I don't think they, they came to us wanting their day in court. They just got more and more angry when the other, other side was, you know, either reluctant or, um, they couldn't get what they wanted, you know? Yeah. I, and, and, and it's not, and Mark, it's not just the money they want to divide by two or that they have to divide by two. <laughs> the know? children. The children. And I, I always, I always scratch my head because it's funny that people come to whatever venue they come to, whether it's mediation, collaborative or litigation. And I work in all three areas. They come to it with this fantasy that they're going to get divorced different than they were married. Like, oh, wait a minute. Well, you know, they're yeah, going to yeah, be a yeah. whole different situation. It's a whole new ball of wax. Like, you know, it's fascinating because we do deal with a lot of myths. And I, and again, I talk in terms of like, I'm a myth buster. I do a lot of myth busting because I really believe that the, the backbone of disappointment is expectation. So if you have reasonable expectations, you get a little less disappointed. So we talk about like, so what do you think your wife's going to be like in this divorce? Or what do you think your husband and, and what was he like during the marriage? What, and, the, and then again, I go back to the listening and the opportunities. And I ask them, will you listen for the opportunity to get divorced different than you're married? If the answer is yes, I'm on board. If the answer is no, I'm just going to tell you my job's going to get harder because I'm going to keep working that way. Will you and listen? And it's going to cost you more money to get divorced different than you were married. Because 
if you were married in any kind of way that you felt satisfactory, you wouldn't have walked through my door. <laughs> you're, yeah, you know. I, I told people that, you know, basically it would be unrealistic to expect that the divorce would be any easier than the marriage, wouldn't it? And I will ask that question. And I, sometimes I'll literally say, and that's why you're divorcing him. And that often will diffuse it a little bit and they'll be able to move on, you know? But I, I try to invite them into some magical thinking in terms of listening. I say, listen for the opportunities to harvest something different than when you were married. And let's have, if I'm working with one party, mm -hmm. we'll have a cue for each other. And I say, lead by example, lead, give what you want to get, be the person you want to work with and harvest as you hear anything. I will also listen for anything that's, you know, I'm going to say that suppose I'm working with the dad, the husband. Um, I, let's listen for when she's not a complete roaring B-I-T-C-H. And I'm going to pull that out and make a mo moment for it. And if you hear it, pull it out and make a moment for it. Thank you, Eleanor. That really hit home for me. Or I really appreciate that, Eleanor. Or Sue, that, you know, the fact that you even contemplated that. Listen for the opportunity to get divorced different than you were married. It will make everybody's job different and better. That's so well said because so many people get divorced thinking that, it's really all about the other person. <laughs> well, they're no, even worse than that. They're in the room to prove to you that it's all about the other I, I want to expose <laughs> this man. <laughs> you don't understand what I've been through. Right? I, I've heard that before, and, and I, I, I don't mean to minimize it. They probably, they're getting divorced for a reason. But, but they need that validation. One but there's a, what you do that's so beautiful, it's an invitation to transform. Or not. I, and I say this is yeah. one of those, Chef's choice, chef's choice. We can get you divorced the way you were married or we can get you divorced different. It's really up to you and I'm here to be your teammate to help you with that. Are you willing to harvest differently? Because you know, all day long is blah, 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 negative, 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 blah, 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 negative, negative, negative. And a few, a few positives went right by you. You didn't harvest those. You only harvest negative. That's a beautiful refinement. I, I'm I'm very impressed and I'm delighted to hear that. That's a beautiful refine. Yeah, you bet, lady. That's a wonderful refinement on developing a mission in collaborative. You know, it's like their journey. They're paying for this road. Yes. I'm here. I'm the Sherpa. It's your journey. What do you want to pick up on going up this freaking hill? And um, we can we can take the same shit that we started with, or we can get different stuff. It's up to you. So, okay, so here's the person that's contemplating the divorce, you know, and, and they're, they're going to come in, and, and the invitation really is you have a choice right now. It's, it's really a choice. You can keep doing the same crap yep. that's made you miserable, and don't think that when the divorce is over that you're going to be any happier because you're going to have the same crap, <laughs> whether he's here or she's here or not. Or you can make a choice to turn a page and transform. Okay, so you know, that requires I have to look at myself. I don't want to look at myself. It's all about the other person. Well, I find them looking as long as they look differently, as long as they listen <laughs> differently. It's about listening and harvesting. So back to your daughter, listening <laughs> it's differently. Back to your daughter. It's about listening differently. I had to listen differently. I was going to say, you could have chosen to just say, oh, you know what? She's deaf. I can't talk to her. I have a lot of friends who chose to listen differently and their kids don't speak clearly and you got to talk to her sean i put her on the phone for a reason i did you um, can't tell you can't tell that she's deaf 
I mean, it speaks it's beautifully. Been, it's been a, it, I can tell, but only a little bit, you know, it shows up, but you know, you have choices and some of those choices suck. Okay. But you can choose to take on the opportunity to do it differently. And, and I, it's funny you said turn a page because Again, this goes back to the MD thing. And how many times do doc, you ask a doctor, what's my chances? What's my, what's the prognosis, doctor? What's the percentage of my blah, blah, blah? And so I'm kind of used to that question. And so I have a page that I show people and I said, I have 100%, 100% guarantee. 100% is the only guarantee I ever give. And I've given it for years and it's never failed me. And it's a page I show them on the front side. It says, if nothing changes, I turn it around nothing changes 100% guarantee and it's never failed me and if you want that save your money go back home don't come to my office I'll Amen, save you sister <laughs> but you know what if they wanted to come to the, your office yes and wanted to sup from your wisdom and knowledge as an MD in the divorce industry how would they get a hold of you um I have a website it's www and then my crazy name, J. Joe Portanova, MD, which is all small caps. It's J-A-Y-E-J-O-P-O-R-T-A-N-O-V-A-M-D.com. And they can look it up there and send me an email and I'd be happy to talk to them. I think they'd be wise to do so. All right, <laughs> Scott, how would they get a hold of you? Well, they would have to unearth their ancient <laughs> telephone <laughs> and they would they would call scott weiner jd phd a fake doctor as it were and a fake lawyer too while we're at it <laughs> at 619-417-5743 i'm in solana beach california and i answer my own phone and mark they, they want to figure out their financial picture as they get divorced. What should they do? Well, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century, so I do have a website. Uh, and uh, it, it, the company is Pacific Divorce Management. My website is PAC, P-A-C, Divorce, D-I-B-O-R-C-E.com. And if they want to get a hold of me, who is at least a decade younger than everybody on this call. <laughs> I don't know. I think, J.J., you and I are probably the same age. I'm 63 and holding. You're doing great. <laughs> you're, you're not 63. Holding wow. on by the bare teeth. <laughs> if you wanted to mediate your case with me, go to WeberDisputeResolution.com. That's Weber with one B like the grill. WeberDisputeResolution.com. I'd be happy to have a consultation with you. J. Joe, it's been great having you on. What a pleasure. I've enjoyed this. This is too much fun. You know, we've been <laughs> getting comments fun. that were depressing. I think you've elevated the mood for all of our listeners. I'm Will you come back and, and, and do this again sometime? Anytime. I told Sean, anytime he asks me and my answer is yes, probably foolishly, but I'll do it. You too, <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Scott. I mean... At the risk nice of to be that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an automatic yes, so anytime. Awesome. And to our listeners, we're glad to, that you're listening to us and, and hope that you find an opportunity to, to make a change or make something good happen in your life. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Three Wise Men of Divorce. 
money, psych, and law. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and share with others who may be in a similar place. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and focused on a positive, bright future. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Every family law case is unique, so no legal, financial, or mental health advice is intended during this podcast. If you need help with your specific situation, feel free to schedule a time to speak with one of us for a personal consultation.